You know, they tell me, I'd, I would like for Adeline just to start running. Just get up, just start running. But Shirley said, no, you can't start walking. You can't run until you crawl. So we're working on the crawling part right now. But you got to have, you got to, it has to be the divine order. It'd be like having a basketball team. You may, everybody may be over seven foot and the greatest athletes on earth. But what if they couldn't dribble? They wouldn't win. They wouldn't have a chance. So we've got to be solid. We've got to have the fundamentals. And one of them is of the doctrine of baptisms. And I realized that even myself, I didn't fully understand. I, I knew about the different baptisms. But we've got to be rooted in the truth. 
especially for this hour which we're living. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it's not about how well I deliver a message. God, my hope and faith is not in, in my ability or inability. It's in the ability of God. It's in the unction of the Holy Spirit. It's in the, it's in the conviction of heaven. And Lord, we thank you that your word, you already said, your word will not return void. It will accomplish your purpose. And Lord, we thank you that you are entrusting us with the word that will turn our nation back to you. We thank you, God. We're going for this hour. We believe a move of God has begun. And Lord, we know it's not going to be the whole church. Much of it is going to be persecuted, just like every move of God has ever been persecuted. But Lord, we're willing to pay the price. We're willing to trust you in this final hour to believe you for a great harvest of souls. So we thank you. You're getting a people ready. You're getting our hearts positioned and places chosen all over the nation, all over the earth, for a great move of the Spirit. So we bless you and honor you. Thank you that you're going to accomplish much in this hour, Lord. Stretch forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would be done through the holy name of your servant, Jesus. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So Hebrews says... We've got to go on, but you have to have these foundational principles in place. And one of them is of the doctrine of baptisms. Now, I want to look at some examples. I think we touched on this after Todd Smith left, but we really didn't go into details. So I want to go and dig a little bit deeper. But why we haven't... I mean, what does the Bible say about baptism? Well, first of all, look with me in Hebrews chapter 4. I hope you brought your Bibles. How many of you brought them? Some of you did. You have your computer. You have your, your, uh, your cell phone. It doesn't matter. But let's follow in the Scripture. It's better that we see it for ourselves. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. Now, this is the one that comes to mind. Where if you hear about a move of God that baptisms, and people are meeting Jesus in the water, being healed in the water. Encountering God, being marked. I personally believe when I was baptized in Dawsonville, I was marked for this move of God. That's what I personally feel. If you don't agree, it doesn't matter. That's what I feel. I believe. Let it be according to my faith. And I'm going for it. So anyway, but this is the one objection, the scripture that comes to mind. It says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Spirit, and it goes on, or, back, or one Father, one God and one Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. I've heard people say that proves that Paul was a Southerner. You all. It's in you all. But to each one grace was given. But the Scriptures speak about one baptism. One baptism. Well, that speaks about, how many of you know, it's the baptism into the faith. You're baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ. It's a, a, a picture of the surrender of the identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Deb sent us a picture this week. That was an amazing picture, Deb. Deb Lowe, that you sent. There were two, two signs, one message. How many of you saw that? You need to send that out to everybody. It was the sun reflecting on a telephone pole with the sign one way, right? And so you could see the sign one way, but then behind was the perfect image of the cross. So it was two signs, the cross, 
and the one way. It was two signs, but one way. And there's one baptism into the body of Christ. And that should be where most of us, we've already had that baptism. Then secondly, the Bible talks about the baptism of repentance. And this was John's baptism. And that means we've repented of our sin. We've turned. We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We've repented of our sin and we've turned to Him. It's the only way. How many of you know there's no forgiveness without repentance? You don't just go to church and say, I'm forgiven of my sin. It's not going to happen. I'm just going to sit among the saints and be forgiven. It'll never happen. You must repent. Repent, therefore. The Scripture speaks of that. And then thirdly, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I never knew there was a Holy Spirit when I grew up. I mean, I heard about Him, but I came out of a denomination, yet you didn't know much. In fact, I thought a lot of that was of the devil. That's what they told me. You know, tongues, it was of a devil. You should run. And I didn't know any better. And, uh, but then I began to learn through a process that the Holy Spirit was more than what they taught me. I was, a, I was a minister at a chapel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Probably nobody's been there. It was called Thorn Crown Chapel. Anybody been there? Northwest Arkansas. It's, 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 a, it's a tourist spot. Somebody, you've been there. I was the minister of Thorn Crown Chapel. And it was a summer ministry. And uh, the Gray Line, you know, there's a passion play in Eureka Springs. So they would, people would come from all over America to go to the passion play. But they would get on the Gray Line bus tour and they would go see the various sites. One of them was where I was a minister called Thorn Crown Chapel. Because it was made by what, Frank, Earl Frank Wright, whatever, I don't remember. Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah, real famous, wood and stone and glass. And I was in there standing up, and people would come in, and I would tell them about the chapel and how it happened, and, and uh, Jim Reed that built the, had the vision. And then I'd get to preach the gospel. It was an amazing thing. I would preach the, just, you know, little God so loved the world. How many of you would like to know Jesus before you go back on your tour? And people got saved from all over the country. That summer was the most amazing summer. But I remember, you know, after you'd give your little presentation there, you'd have to go stand in the back when people were walking out. And people started passing me, spirit-filled believers. And they would look at me and say, young men, not many days from now, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even know. I said, what? Baptized? Not many days. So I started looking that stuff up. And it happened. I'm just telling you, it happened. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we need that baptism. And then there's the baptism of fire. And that's what Todd Smith, and he explained it well. But this week, when we were in Washington, D.C., there was a lady that was in one of the, the meetings. It was in Savannah, Georgia, where they had Todd came and they, they, the baptisms. And she was just taking pictures of the, of the pool they set up. And then when she went home to look at the pictures closer, you know what she saw on the, fi on the water? Fire. And she showed us the pictures. There was literal fire. You could see it on the water. And I believe that's what God showed Todd when we set up these baptismal. Listen, there's fire in the water. People are going to be baptized by fire. And there's a lot of purposes for that. And then another baptism in the Bible is the one that probably most Americans would not even hear about. They'd rather not hear about. But we're going to proclaim it because it's coming. It's called a baptism of suffering. How many of you are familiar with that one? Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. 
In fact, I believe it's going to be a word for 2020. Let me just remind you, the mother of Zebedee, kneeling down, asked Jesus. She comes up to him, grant that my two sons, one would sit on the right and one would sit on your left hand when you enter your kingdom. He said, you don't know what you're asking. And then he said, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And then before they even had a chance to answer, he said, you will drink of that cup. And you will be baptized with the baptism that I am being baptized with. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about a baptism of suffering. Remember, he said, Father, take this cup from me. Lord, if it's your will, take this cup. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, my own opinion... And there are a lot of other people that have the same opinion, especially if you read this book very closely. There's a, it's a great opinion of the Lord. He spoke a lot about it. Is that there's going to be a great persecution before the Lord comes again. My own opinion is in 2020 we're going to begin to see an increase of that persecution. And most of the church in America, I would say 98, nine, no, probably 99.9% is unprepared. We're not prepared. I saw a book that's uh, just been released by David Horowitz. What he's, a, he's a Jew, I understand. But he wrote a book called Dark Agenda. And uh, was it Mike Huckabee encouraging everyone to read that book? It's The Dark Agenda, The War Against Christian America. Wouldn't it be just like God to raise up someone out of the Jewish faith, faith to give a message to warn Americans? But you know, we have to remember, a painless Christianity is probably not a crossless, or it's not, it, there's no cross in that Christianity. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you believe when you came to Jesus, your troubles would be over? How many of you found that's not exactly what happened? Now be honest. Now some of the troubles were over. I mean, some of them, obviously. But others, you encountered other troubles you didn't think you were going to face. And you had to deal with it. You had to, and the only way out of the trouble is what? By way of what? The cross. There's one way. The only way I've ever found to get out of the trouble is die to yourself. Anybody ever found another way? How about the ten steps to overcome any problem in life? You know, you can read all that stuff. I found one step. The step is to step to the cross. And you die to yourself. And we've said many times, you know what dying to yourself will do to you. You remember, right? It'll kill you. But a painless Christianity is a crossless Christianity. Now, look with me, if you would, to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. We have to prepare the church for what's coming. And I can tell you a lot of the church is not going to want to hear what's coming. And so therefore they will not be prepared. And there will be a great falling away of the faith. Just like the Bible said. It's going to happen. But not on my watch and not under those that are entrusted to me. You fall out of the faith. You're a part of this congregation. We're going to kick you up and down the street. You're going to endure all things unto the end. It's just the way it's going to be. It's in me, and I'm going to let it out of me. 
There's a fire in us that'll never go out. I don't care if they pin us up upside down and make us the head of the donkey. We're going to overcome because our faith is not in, wrapped up in this world. Our faith is in Him that has overcome all things. And we're going to live forever. We have an eternal home. Our hope is not only in this world. If, we, if our hope is only in this world, we're of all men most pitiful. But our hope is eternal. But Hebrews chapter 12, let me show you this. It says, um, actually, you know, if you look back in verse 39 and 40, it speaks about how not all of those who received the promises of God actually saw the promises of God. Does that mean they had no faith? In some parts of the church in America, they would tell you, brother, you just have no faith. No, according to this, they had a great testimony of faith. God had something better than their seeing what they had thought they, would, they should see in this life. And you know, that is a, one of the principles. If, if, if God takes something away from you, you know what that means? He's got something far better. He's got something better. And if God takes something from you, that usually means you have to die somewhere along the way. But in your dying, you're going to find life. I've never, you're not going to find a crown before you find the cross. It's going to happen. That's the way that this is real Christianity 101. They didn't explain that to us. But you've got to take up your cross. And then you're going to find the crown. But there's something better. Then chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how many of you know if you're in a race and if you're carrying weights, you're probably going to have a little hard time finishing that race. And so we got to get rid of all the weights, got to ask God to show us what it is that's holding us back. But then he goes on looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Now watch this. Jesus saw the joy beyond the cross. All right, so what did he do? Did he call on 10,000 angels to come rescue him, get him out of the mess? No, it wasn't a mess. He could see the joy that was before him, that which others couldn't see. So here's two things. He saw the joy that was set before him. Number one, he endured the cross. They endured. And then number two, he despised the shame. And because of that, he was he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Two types of suffering. First of all, enduring the cross means physical torture. How many of you know that? It's physical torture. Secondly, despising the shame. What kind of torture is that? Mental. That means there's, some, there's something going on in your mind. But Jesus looked beyond the physical. He looked beyond the mental. And he looked beyond, he saw the cross. Now look over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Say, I'm with you. You think we're joking when we say we're going to kick you up, down? No, we're not. Listen, you've got to grow up. I want people to kick me. In fact, what I've found is, it usually happens whether I want it or not. And a lot of times, the people don't even know they're kicking you. God's using people to get you back in shape and back in line. If the righteous have never 
you know, struck you. What do you I forget, it's Psalms or Proverbs. If, you're, if the righteous strike you, it's like precious oil that runs down over you. You need to be struck from time to time. And, the, and probably that person doesn't even know what they're doing. But God's dealing with something in the heart. Anyway, Philippians chapter 2. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will. Because there's discipline. You're going to be... Hey, D Dylan, you ever been disciplined by the Lord? Yeah. It's going to happen. You're not even one of His sons if you don't get disciplined. You're some... You know, you, you're just not a son. That's won't even go there. Look in chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind... Say mine. Now, what does that mean? It's a way of thinking. Okay, so as a believer, you need to think like this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery. In other words, he didn't, he was equal. I mean, he didn't deserve to die. He was equal with God, but it says he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. In other words, he sacrificed that with the position that he had, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And therefore, what happened? God highly exalted him and given him, he's given him the name that is above every name. And so the Lord says, let this mind also be in you. Even though you do not deserve what you think is happening, embrace it. Embrace the cross and know that there's a greater joy and there's a greater exaltation coming than the exaltation of men. If you want to be exalted in the eyes of men, you can be exalted in the eyes of men. But if you want to be exalted in the eyes of God, you may be dethroned in the eyes of some men. And the choice will be yours. Are you going to be approved of God or are you going to be approved of men? And that's going to be one of the final battles. But we got to get ready for the baptism of suffering. I'm going to go more into this in a moment. But can I tell you, the church in America is going to drink of this cup. And it's going to be one of the ways that you're going to know those who had a profession of faith with their mouth. But they're a whole lifestyle of faith. They really professed. They believed what they professed. They didn't just talk. They walked. How many of you know that could happen in 2020? I'm going to show you more stuff. Now, one more, because we got to get to the next part. Then there's the baptisms in the Scripture, which refers to the washings. Remember, in the Jewish custom, there were washings. They would wash themselves two or three times a day. Remember, Peter... And Jesus, he, he wasn't going to let him wash his feet. If I don't wa I'm, wash your feet, you have no part in me. Well, then, Lord, don't even, hey, besides my feet, wash me all. I'm just, I want to take a bath. And so, anyway, I think the, the baptisms are the washing of the bride, preparing the bride for the Son of God to come again. And it's washing. So it's all these things. And I'm embracing it. Probably be persecuted. We talked about that. Because some folks are not going to understand. What do you mean you're baptizing people? Well, we're just are. And then you can try to explain it. Some of them will listen and some of them won't. We don't care. Now, there are three things 
that the church in Dawsonville, they challenged their people, Pastor Todd. They went into a 21-day period of fasting and prayer. We don't have 21 days between now and October 3rd. But we have 10 more. We had 12 when we started this fast. We have 10 more. If you haven't jumped into this point, guess what? You can still jump in. Now, these guys are going to Germany. We give you a pass. But you could fast tonight or tomorrow morning for breakfast. You know what I mean? Just get in on it before you leave. You could fast tomorrow. I'm not telling you how. Just do it. We all need this. needs to be a corporate fast. If you fast one meal, two meals, three meals, we don't, it doesn't matter. Just fast and pray. Some things will not happen except but by fasting and prayer. So between now and October the 3rd, we're on a season of fasting. And however God would instruct you to do it, some of you need to take the plunge and just fast from here on out. I remember in Mississippi, I was going to go on a 40-day fast. And I got through 19 days. I think I've shared this. 19 days, you know, where I would fast two days and then eat. Because somebody would, as a pastor, they would invite you out. It's embarrassing. I can't eat. You're trying to hide the fast. At the same time, you're trying to do the fast. You don't want to appear to be fasting. So anyway, I, I did it like that. I would fast three days and then eat, then two days and eat, and one day, and then four days. Anyway, I got to 19. And I added them up. You say, what kind of fast is that? Well, it, it worked. And then after I got to 19, the Lord said, okay, that's enough of that. Finish it. 21 days straight. So I said, okay, God, this time I'm going to turn all eating invitations down. I don't care. 21 days. So I finished the season of 40-day fast. You say, well, did it work? You broke 19 up and then 21 in a row. It worked. I don't understand the grace of God. I just know it worked. Because revival came to the church. God poured out His Spirit in Columbia, Mississippi. They wrote about us in Charisma magazine. We had over 1,200 people saved at the altars of our church in three weeks. And a lot of it was because we would go to Pensacola. We would sneak away because a revival was going on in Pensacola. And I was a Baptist pastor and I would go. And Actually, we brought a lot of people. I'll never forget the night we're praying before one of the services in Mississippi. And the Spirit of God fell on our prayer meeting and my wife fell out on the floor. And I said, Shirley, get up. We're in a Baptist church. You can't do that here, don't you? What are you doing? You don't do that. What do you think you're doing? Get up. You know. It was a journey. I don't remember what happened, but I'm telling you, God came. And they put it in the, the newspaper. They wrote about it. It was on television. I don't know if you ever heard about that move. It doesn't matter. We were a part of it. And they wrote in the, the headlines of the Columbia, what was it, the... Uh, in Times Journal, whatever there was, the newspaper. Col revive, or no, how, how did it, it said God has come to Columbia. It was an amazing time. That's the time I told you we didn't want to go to sleep. I'd go to bed and I'd try to keep my eyes open. I said, God, I don't want to miss a moment of this. I want to get back to church. Why do we have to sleep? Well, you know, you have to because you got to rest. But I wanted to get back because God was in the place. And I'm telling you, when he comes, you'll know it. 
You don't have to have anybody tell you or announce it or hype it up. You'll just know that God's in the house. And so anyway, I want to challenge us to adapt some similar goals as they had because they're very pure-hearted goals. I identify with all of them. Number one, he challenged the people to seek the face of God. And that's what I want to challenge us with. Let's just seek his face. The challenge is, let's don't ask God for anything during these 12 days. Just say, God, what we want, we want you. You're everything. Why would we ask you for anything when you are everything? And believe that God will take care of everything else. And so we just run after him. One of the, maybe the most memorable worship services I ever attended. I was, you know, at a time in my life, I attended Wheaton College. And it's where Billy Graham went. And, and I went there for a, I don't know, a number of things. And I don't know if I was in school. It was during the summer. Or maybe it was one of those Billy Graham schools of evangelism. How many of you, did you ever go to those? Some of you, anybody? Am I the only one that ever did? I'm not that old. Did you ever, they used to have schools of evangelism. And they would pay pastors to come. But I went to school there anyway. But we were there with Dr. Stephen Olford was speaking that night. And uh, what was the name? Wheaton Bible Church. And I remember before I went, God challenged my heart. He said, don't ask me for anything. Because I was a single guy and I wanted a lot. Number one, I wanted a wife. I felt like this was no good. How could I go in ministry without a wife? You said, God, it's not good. This is not a good thing. You said that. And you said, he that finds a wife has found a good thing. So, Lord, I need a wife. I was just asking. He said, don't ask me for anything. Just go and seek me. So I remember I made a commitment. I said, God, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't even want a wife, at least during the next hour. I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> now, I want you, Jesus. I want you. I just want to go. I want you. I want you. It was the first time I, that I know that I've ever done that. And in many ways, it's, it's one of, you know, most services you'll never remember. I remember that night. Because to me, I had everything. I had him. You don't need anything when you have everything, when you have him. He's your all in all. He is who he said he is. And you know, we just want to seek him in this place. Remember John chapter 12. There were certain Greeks who came to worship at the feast. They came to Philip and they asked him, they said, Sir... We would see Jesus. I'm, that's from now. Listen, worship is important. All this other stuff is important. We're coming to see Jesus. I want to see him. I want to seek him. I want to know him. I want to have him. American Christianity has built a buffet of religion that is displeasing to God, to say the least. You, you go and you see what you can get. It's all about self, and if I don't get myself what I think I need, I'm going to go eat at another buffet. And I'm telling you, God's about to break up the buffet business in America. He's going to come and scatter all of that stuff, just like he did with the, the temple. Now, you know, the Bill of Rights as Americans is something we should defend. We should fight. We should give our life for the Bill of Rights. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but they're under attack. The Constitution is under assault. It's not by a party. You know who we are up against. It's the spirit of Antichrist. 
I mean, this is darkness versus light like we've never known before. And the devil has his disciples, and you can watch them any day. Just turn on CNN, and you'll see them. You'll hear their words. You know how you can tell? You should read the party platforms. The devil's platform is a threefold platform. How do you know what the devil's platform is? It steals, kills, and destroys. If one party wants to steal your taxes, steal your freedom, steal your property, there's a good possibility they may have got their platform from hell. If one of the parties wants to kill the unborn, or those who are right one day after they're born, or the elderly who we don't need anymore, they say, or whatever, there's a good chance their platform came out of hell. And if one of the parties has a freedom that destroys freedom, or, a, you know, a platform that destroys freedom, or destroys the truth, or destroys health care, you know that the last health care was not about health care. It was about controlling who lives and who dies. And that's why there's a push to get it back in the forefront. Because if you can control health care, you can control the masses. Because you can decide whether you get it or you don't get it. That's why we got to figure out quickly the greatest health care system in the world. It's the church of the living God. The kingdom of darkness. I ran across this scripture because I've been watching this stuff, you know, was it last week? Every, no, not every week, every day there's a new scandal. There's a new crisis. There's a new emphasis. They're trying to, to just wear the American people out. And anyway, last week, wasn't it when Judge Kavanaugh, they came out again, more assault attacks against Judge Kavanaugh. This week, it's something else that President Trump something about what he did or he didn't do in Ukraine and I found out it's actually a cover-up crimes from Joe Biden's son in the Ukraine anyway the media has it all figured out but listen to this Proverbs 21 verse 28 listen a false witness shall perish can I proclaim that over the airwaves CNN will perish every lying politician one day will perish but listen to what they know the rest of that Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. So they know, they know if they lie enough, somebody's going to repeat their lies endlessly. In fact, Hitler had that belief. He said, if you tell a lie, tell it often, and eventually the masses will believe you. It's the same principle today. And that's why they change subjects, but it's always a lie. It's always false. And it's always, listen, if you have to win an election by lying to the people, you're going to lie to the people after you get into that office. And if lies rule the day, truth perishes. And when truth perishes, freedom will be gone. Or when, yes, it'll be gone. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we've got to fight for the Bill of Rights. But I only share that to go back to something else as believers. We don't have a Bill of Rights as believers. Our rights are to be surrendered to Him. I keep hearing this over and over. If you demand to be right, you're going to probably be left out of the move of God that's moving in this hour. If you've got to demand to be right with your fellow brother, 
No, listen. Jesus was right. He considered. He humbled himself. Even to the point of death. He could have demanded who he really was. He was the Son of God. But he laid it all down as a sacrifice. And then God exalted him at the right hand of God. So, number one, a reason to fast is let's just seek God. Say, seek God. Is that good? We're going to seek Jesus. I want to sing about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to have his name on my lips. I want Jesus to be the one that people remember when they come to the gathering in Moravian Falls. Because if I see clearly, they're coming by the boatloads. Because they're coming to meet Jesus. They're going to come find him. I believe what you spoke this morning, a move of God has begun. It's a new move, and it's breaking out many places across America. So number one, we see Him. Number two is to behold His glory. I was really amazed. That's what we were singing about this morning. Look with me in Exodus 33. You guys still there? You, you guys on the web stream, are you still there? You know, we have a lot of folks that are part of this body that live in many places. Texas, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Tennessee. People that come here, sometimes they say, we watch you every week. It's totally amazing. And every week when we look at the offering online, there are people that give faithfully to support. Some of them want to move here. Some of them are on their way here. There's a man next week coming from uh, Corpus Christi, I believe, is where he lives. He's selling his house. He's coming to scout out the property and uh, find a place to live. But people want to move here. But look at this, Exodus 33. You know these, these scriptures. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, You say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And you've said, I know you by name, and you've found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. I want to know your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider this nation is your people. And so Moses not only interceded for himself, his heart cry was for the nation. God, show us your glory. And then he goes on in verse 15, If your presence, the Lord confirms my presence, I will give to you. And if your presence does not go up, don't even bring us up from here. That's what will mark us as a people of God, will be His presence upon our life. Verse 18, And He said, Please show me your glory. And so the second reason that we are fasting is to see His glory. How many of you, I want to ask you, how many of you have ever seen the glory of the Lord? If you ever see His glory, you, won't have, you will know. I, I've shared before one of my heroes was also Arthur Blessed. He was the man, you know, I've, I've told you he took up the cross. He's a minister of Sunset Strip in Hollywood. And God spoke to him. And there was a cross at the back of the, the auditorium or the building, whatever it was. And he, the Lord said, pick up the cross and take it around the world. So Arthur Blessed took the Lord serious, picked up the cross, put it over his shoulder. And if I understand correctly, he literally took the cross to every continent. But I don't know, did, did I hear every nation? That would have been almost impossible, but I don't know, all over the earth. But he, I remember he was, well, I remember one day we were in Dallas, Texas, and uh, Arthur carried the cross through the cities of, the, the city streets of Dallas. And uh, I was one of those following behind him. 
And it was an amazing time. That was in the days you could do stuff like that. And they would, they would let you do it. Today you take the cross. You're liable to have something thrown at you. You know we're worse. So be it. We take up the cross anyway. But I followed Arthur all the way. I'm just going to be honest until we passed McDonald's. Because it was lunchtime. So I said, okay, that's enough of following the cross. I had lunch. But it was okay. It was our lunchtime. So you could do that. I wasn't breaking anybody's rules. But I remember Arthur sharing this story. He said he was in some nation. And he, he looked out. He saw light in the window. And he looked out and he saw in space. It was like a ball of fire. Ball of light. He said it started coming closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the little room that he was in. And he moved back. He said, all of a sudden, the light came into the room. He said, it's like it exploded in the room. And he was, the, the room, there was, it was just covered with light. And of course, what do you think you do when the glory of God shows up? You hit the deck, you fall on your face. You're not going to fall backwards. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to try to hide under the carpet, get under a rug, something. Hide behind something. And so he's on the face. He's, oh God, and he's crying out to God. And the, he said, the glory of the Lord. He was overwhelming, overwhelmed by the glory of God, the light that was in the room. And then he said, all of a sudden, God took the light away and it was total darkness in the room. And then he would cry out to God. God, in agony. And it was horrible, he said, the most horrible feeling. And then all of a sudden, the glory of God would come back in. And then he would be overwhelmed in the, with the splendor and the majesty and the, over, the joy that exploded. And then he, it was taken away again. Then it would be all dark and black and horrible and, and just the darkness. And he said it was like that way, just back and forth. God wanted to show him what it was like when he was there and what it was like when he wasn't there. And I believe with all of my heart... It's going to happen like that again in this nation. There are going to be places in America where the glory of the Lord is going to be so bright, so filled. Rooms are going to be so filled with His glory that you won't be able to stand. You hardly won't even be able to enter. Then there'll be other cities that don't want the glory of God. They don't want anything to do with God. And if I'm hearing him correctly, God says, okay, you don't want me. I'm going to oblige you and I'm going to remove my presence altogether. And you're going to see what it's like in cities in America where they've said, God, we don't want you here. And you're going to see the darkness and the evil and the poverty and the crime. And we're going to see a difference in America between that which is the glory and that which is the darkness. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. My prayer is, God... Just go ahead and do it now. Do it now. We need to get them saved. The only way to get them out of that kingdom is if they be confronted with sin. You know, we got to make sin, sin again in America. you got to tell people what sin is. You can't excuse it. can't water it down. Sin is sin. In the house of God, it's sin. That's where judgment begins. But it's also sin. Now, there's a real key about the glory. This is a key. The Bible says, John, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Now, in the Old Testament, you know the word kabod, the weightiness, the weight. of That's why you probably fall, the weightiness of God. In the New Testament, it's, it's the splendor, it's the honor and the praise. You know who the glory of God is in the New Testament? Jesus. Jesus. So now we've we got to understand something. While it's okay to tell the stories... And I pray God opens the eyes and every one of us has an encounter like Arthur had in that little room that night. Even if we don't have an encounter, the glory of God is in our midst. You know who the glory of God is? His name is Jesus. Jesus. We beheld His glory. And when we behold Him as He is, we're going to have all the glory that we need. Jesus is the glory. Say that with me. Say, Jesus is the glory of God. And then the last thing, the fast, is that they would, they fasted, and this is what I want to challenge us with, that God would press into them, and God would press into us. What do you mean by that? Whatever it meant to them, what it means to me is, is what David prayed. God, search me and try me, and see if there be any wicked way within me. God, we've got to get clean. We've got to be pure. We've got to be holy. We've got to follow after you. Nothing can be left. Now, I want you to go with me. This is what I wanted to get to. We'll wrap it up quickly, but 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you hadn't heard anything I've heard, hear this. I've got to speak something from this place in North Carolina to the, to the church in America for what's coming in 2020. But I want to show you 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now, this was about a month ago. We actually looked at these scriptures, but I didn't go into detail. I want to go a little bit more into detail because it fits with what God has spoken. Now, verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Now, you're either going to strive to be approved in the sight or the, in the eyes of men, or you're going to seek to be approved in the eyes of God, one or the other. And that may not, they may not always go together. In fact, those, the thing that men highly esteem might be despised in the eyes of God. And that which is highly esteemed in the eyes of God may be, you know, despised in the eyes of men. And you'll have to make a choice. Whom are you going to serve? Present yourself a proof to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth, but shown profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. And he gives us, he names names. Paul is not afraid to name the names who speaks of these, who've strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. So he gives the, the personal example of how these guys had strayed from the truth and they had overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, and this is the scripture we really emphasized, nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. No, cover it up. Pretend no one is watching. No, depart from iniquity. And then he gives an example, but in a great house... They're not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. In this house this morning, there are some that are, right now, lives are bringing great honor 
Others are bringing great dishonor to the king. That's what he said, in a great house. Therefore, therefore, verse 21, and we've often said, if you see a therefore, you've got to see what it's there for. So you back up in the great house. There's those that are there for honor, and there are those that are there for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, say cleanse, cleanses himself, cleanses himself from the latter, from that which would bring dishonor to the Lord, then he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Then he goes on into detail, flee also youthful lusts. But look in verse 21, you know what the word cleanse means? Anybody? Purge. It means purge. In other words, he could have said, I guess he uses the word cleanse. They translate it cleanse. It sounds better. If anyone would purge themselves from the latter, then they will be a vessel of honor ready, prepared for the master for every good work. Now, doesn't the Bible say that we should judge ourselves lest we be judged? What did Jesus say? He said, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the leaven. Remove the leaven. Can I just announce to the church in America that in the year 2020, you're going to have a choice. Either purge yourself or be ready to be purged. One of the other. I'm going to show you that. Because the Lord is coming for a bride without spot and without wrinkle. And as Pastor Todd said, I'm in total agreement. The Lord is coming in vengeance for His bride. He's coming to reclaim the bride from a religious system that allowed her to live in filth thinking that she's pure. No, He's coming for a, a bride that not only thinks she's pure, but she's pure. And she's ready. She's made herself ready. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Are you hanging on a little bit longer? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19. But I will... Now this is really good. And this is amazing. I remember we read this story... A few weeks ago, or a month ago or so, but I did not see what I see today. Verse 19, but I will come to you shortly. This is Paul. If the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up. That means the arrogant or the proud. I'm not going to come in the word with those who are puffed up, but the power. What's he talking about? I'm going to come in the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What's he talking about? He's going to explain what he's talking about. In the context that we put not our trust in the words of men that are puffed up, but in the power of God. And he's going to give them a real life example. Verse 21. What do you want? What if the Lord walked in here this morning? What do you want? What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Now, very possibly, if we studied it out, love and gentleness go together. But it would not be taking it out of context to say they represent three different things. A rod are love and gentleness. So, 
What was that game so show that they had door number one, door number two, door number three? Let's make a deal. Can we play Let's Make a Deal this morning? You guys watching, can we play Let's Make a Deal? I'm gonna, you get to choose the door. Let's say Paul is at the door. How would you rather him walk in the door this morning? No, 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 no. Why don't we just jump on and say Jesus is at the door? Number one, those of you, our door number one is a spirit of gentleness. Door number two is the love. And door number three is with a rod. How many of you would choose this morning for the Lord to walk in door number one? Yeah, now that wouldn't all be bad. It's not bad. You're, you're not disqualified. Wouldn't be bad. How many of you would choose door number two? Lord, we really need your love. That wouldn't be bad either. You wouldn't. Because if you remember that game show, if you chose the wrong door, you still won something. It might have been an empty box. But whatever it was, it was something. Well, let me tell you what America needs in this hour in America, the church in America. Yes, we do need all of that. But most of all, we don't need the spirit of gentleness. We don't need the love. We need the Lord to come in with a rod. And He's coming that way to the church. I'm telling you, He's coming that way to the church in this nation. What are you talking about? What's the context? We'll look in chapter 5. Here's the context. It is actually reported. So think about it. Okay, Paul says, am I going to come in with a rod or love or gentleness? Which way would be best for the church at Corinth? It was with a rod. Look at this. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. Now, why would he say it's not even named among the Gentiles? Well, it was pretty grievous, but he's basically saying in the house of God, the behavior is to be different than in the house of the world. Someone said, I look for the church and I found it in the world. I look for the world and I found it in the church. The Lord's coming with a rod to drive the world out of the church and the church out of the world. And then in verse 2 he says, and you are puffed up. You're arrogant. That's the church in America. Much of the church, the charismatic that explains the grace, hyper grace. You're puffed up. And if not, rather mourned. You should be mourning that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, I've already judged him who has done this deed. You know, we hear, you can't judge, don't judge. Paul judged. He judged the deed and the man committing the deed. He couldn't separate the two. And then, here's what he did. Now, this is the power of God. So if you've got to think back in the context... I've never seen this before in my entire life. In verse 19, he speaks about the power. The kingdom of God is not in word. It's in power. The American church is going to see the power. So look in verse 5. Here's the power they most needed. He says, verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The real kingdom. The kingdom of power, not just words only. 
Then deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying it would be better, yet your body is destroyed and your spirit live for all eternity. Then you live healthy, wealthy, and wise in a hyper-grace movement and your soul spend eternity in hell. And the Lord's going to see to it in America. Purge or be purged. So he goes on. Verse 6. Now when he says the destruction of the flesh, what's he talking about? The body. The body. It'd be far better that Satan has his way and tears your body apart if you repent and turn and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you live in sin. You say, that makes sense. Does anybody see this? Not too many amens. Maybe I'm the only one that sees it. But look in verse 6. You're glorying. You're gl this is a glory that makes God sick. Your glorying is not good. While sin is allowed to continue in the house of God, you come and you sing of my glory. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, and here's again, you got to see what it's there for. You saw the context. Therefore, purge. Same word. Let's use the more pleasant word, cleanse. No, let's use the word, the King James, purge. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Verse 8, therefore, let us keep the feast. It's okay if you want to keep the feast, but not with the old leaven of the law, especially the old leaven of sin. And he goes on with malice and wickedness, but live in sincerity and truth. So we need God to come in and door number three. Purge or be purged. When I was getting this this week, I had a flashback of a, a movie. I guess I need to repent for watching that movie. But I liked that movie. It was The Terminator. And I saw it a long time ago, and I remember the bad Terminator somehow goes through this helico helicopter. And he's like, he becomes, he just kind of materializes through the, the windshield of the helicopter. And he's sitting in the passenger seat. And he looks over at the driver and says, get out. You, you, know, you know what the driver did? He jumps out of the helicopter. Whoa, he just jumped out. The destruction of the body big time. If terminated, somebody terminated in front of me and they said, get out, I'd get out. Because if he'd have stayed, he'd have died. Well, he probably died anyway. <laughs> but at least he died on his own terms. But God's saying that right now. Get the sin out. Get out. Get it out of your life. I'll probably... Somebody's not going to want to hear it, but I'm going to say, Thus saith the Lord, the church in the United States, in 2020, purge yourself 
or be purged. One or the other. He's not coming for a bride that's in bed with the world. He's coming for a bride without spot and blemish and that's ready. The bride made herself ready. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor prepared for the master and for every good work. And God has got a great work ahead. So in other words, why are we fasting? We're fasting for him. We want Jesus. I don't know. I'm, I've, I'm not sure yet, Lord. If Jesus is the only one that shows up in most churches in America, will the crowds increase or decrease? I guess we'll have to see. When the real Jesus walks in, will there be more people or less? We'll see. But I want him, so we want to seek him. We want him. We want to focus on... Let's just sing about Jesus. Let's just focus on Jesus. Let Jesus be the first word that comes out of our mouth, the last word when we leave this place. Secondly, we want to see his glory. I'm asking... I've been in ministry a long time, and I know that doesn't matter that much. But I'm asking you as a son. I'm asking as one of your sons, God. I'm asking you this morning before all these people that everyone in this room would see the glory of God. I'm asking you, Lord, as one of your sons on the earth whose faith is in the only begotten Son of God. I'm asking you, Lord, we have not because we ask not. So I'm asking that everyone under the sound of my voice, those that are watching by web stream, that you would open their eyes and they would see the very glory of God. And then the third reason that we're fasting is to get it all out. God, search me and try me and see that there be no wicked way within me. Purge out the old leaven. And then, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you know it's the little foxes that spoil the vine? Don't you know it's the little compromises that will destroy the whole body? The body. We've got to do things God's way. Should I say that, God? No. I'll save it for another day. But he, no, I'll say it anyway. It may not be another day. We don't... We don't... We don't need an investigator. Maybe you do. Maybe, okay, get by with that. But we don't need a team of people deciding on... All we need to do is follow the Word of God. Just follow God. Listen, the kingdom is in power. I'm all for those churches. We need love. We need gentleness. We need peace. Jesus, come like peace. He ain't coming with peace. He already told us, I'm coming with a sword. I'm not coming to bring peace on the earth. I'm coming to bring a sword. I'm coming to divide a father from his children, children from the father. I'm coming to divide the sheep from the goat, the wheat from the tares, the just from the unjust. Malachi says those who serve God from those who pretend to serve him. We need him to come like a rod 
in the church of America. And whether I preach it or not, he's coming. But he said, my word will not return void. So I'm telling you now, in 2020 and beyond, the Lord is coming with a rod. He's coming to drive the money changers out of his temple. He's coming to drive those who've compromised with the world system. And they've used grace and they perverted it. And they've lived in sin and they walked in houses of worship with sin in their life, with no idea of getting that sin out. He's coming with a vengeance. There's one more thing, and I just close out with this. We're going to pray. But somebody called me this week. They told me they saw a vision of Moravian Falls. No, no, no. It's a vision, but also she was at the falls, and they saw something that had been planted in the heart of Moravian Falls that was causing division or something. I was listening the best I could. Sometimes when people explain these things, you just get what you can. It sounded like to me there's some plot to bring division. Well, duh, we've known that. We've been here. It's always been that way. But God wants you to drive it out. And we have the authority to drive it out. So I thought I would just take care of that little thing this morning. Then I'll go to the falls because they said a prophetic act. I probably need to get permission from the man that owns it. Then I'm going to go look for what that lady said she was there. And then I'm going to go tear it out of there. And I'm going to throw it out of there. You know, we need some Josiahs in this hour. You've got to tear down the altars of Baal. We don't need a bunch of wimps and say, I'm just here to get along with everybody. You get along with everybody, you're probably not getting along with God very well. Because the Lord said, beware when men speak well of you. Because so that's how they spoke of the false prophets. If you love me and you follow me, you're going to be hated in this world. And probably by a lot, big part of the church. Because a lot of the world's in the church. So I better stop so we can carry on. So I've got to pray that prayer, and then I'll do that as a prophetic act. But I'm tired of division. In the, it, it, that's, it's the end of it. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pull down whatever demonic plan, idol, whatever ground, the witches... Whatever, Lord, we don't, this is a world we don't want to become too expertise in. We just know a little bit, probably enough to be dangerous. But we know you, and our eyes are on you. And we have great authority in Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one, make no mistake, the one who lived a sinless life, died and rose from the dead, and lives today in the heart of his people, we pull down that idol or that demonic work that has caused division in Moravian Falls and in the body of Christ. That which is right now trying to bring division and even create a civil war. We declare, now we pull it down in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you, you're going to have one body... Lord, that's what you said. There's one Lord, one faith, one body, one Father, one God, one baptism in the body, in the faith. So we declare that 
over the church in America. Lord, I pray the greatest unity now would begin to spring forth, not because men are meeting together, but the Spirit of God is being poured out. The Spirit of unity is falling upon the church, and then men will meet together because it's natural. Blessed are those when you're in unity. So, Lord, I pray for a great spirit of unity to fall upon the church in this nation so that we can rise up and in 2020 turn the tide. Lord, we're not buying in that it's the end of the age and we have to accept darkness. No, Lord, you said the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom is on the increase. And of the increase of your government and of your peace, there shall be no end. So we pray that the kingdom would come and drive out the darkness and that you would use us in this hour to display the glory of the one who deserves all the glory. His name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Amen. So be it. So, Lord, thank you.